you have um, written about atheism before, but, but now about Jesus and atheism. Yes, that's right. So I've, I've written a number of books about atheism, particularly the so-called New mm. Atheism. Um, books like A, a Skeptic's Guide to Atheism and um, one called uh, C.S. Lewis versus the New Atheists. Uh, but now this year I've brought out a book particularly looking at what the New Atheists say about the historical Jesus. A mm. uh, big book called uh, Getting at Jesus, uh, which is a bit of a pun mm. uh, in terms of uh, the New Atheists are sort of attacking Jesus. Um, but I'm both responding to their attacks and looking at how we, historically speaking, get at the historical Jesus mm. uh, and the question of you know, is the historical Jesus the Jesus that Christians think Jesus was? Uh, is there a, a, a divide there between the historical Jesus and the, the, the religious Jesus, as it were, uh, or not? Yeah. Mm. Uh, why do you see a need for such a book? Uh, because the new atheists are very influential uh, upon uh, popular thinking. Uh, it, it's not that their attacks upon the historical Jesus have um, any serious heft, uh, but that they carry weight in popular culture and therefore need responding to. Uh, you know. mm. uh, could you say something about how they are influential? Uh, what's mm. science, what what um, well, at times, yeah. Well, I, I mean, the new atheism sort of was launched uh, in 2001 after the 9-11 attacks uh, in America by an American uh, writer called Sam Harris. Uh, and his first book became a bestseller and uh, publishers suddenly realized that there was now a market for uh, anti-religious polemics. Um, and uh, then a, a bunch of uh, both American and uh, English authors uh, sort of formed this uh, grouping of uh, polemical anti-theist uh, writers who became known uh, as the New Atheists. Um, it was a, a title, I think, coined for them by um, an agnostic called Gary Wolfe in a, a Wired magazine article mm. on the movement. Uh, called, they called it the New Atheism. Uh, and some of the New Atheists have appropriated that title themselves. So Victor Stenger, uh, an American physicist and philosopher, um, published a book called The New Atheism, um, himself sort of appropriating that title. Uh, so they've become a sort of recognized um, cultural phenomena who had a series of best-selling books in the uh, early to sort of mid-2000s and uh, still occasionally publish things. Richard Dawkins is probably the most famous, uh, certainly English member of the New Atheism, mm. uh, just recently came out with a book uh, this year called Outgrowing God, mm. um, uh, sort of aimed at a sort of young adult audience. Uh, he's particularly famous for his book, The God Delusion, uh, published a, a decade or so ago and came out in a second, 10th anniversary edition mm. uh, with some uh, additional bits and pieces added to it. Um, so they're, they're, they're bestsellers, uh, they do TV documentaries, uh, films, um, media appearances and so on. Um, they have, you know, Richard Dawkins has a, the Richard Dawkins Foundation website and uh, they sort of gathered a, a, a movement of people who would attend conferences and rallies and 
um, chat on online board, uh, online chat boards and so on. Um, but when it comes to Jesus, what are their critique or their mm. attack like? I think the, the, the first thing I, I, I sort of belabor to show in the book uh, is that although the, the New Atheists portray themselves as um, wanting to stand up for paying attention to the facts and the importance of uh, looking at the evidence, you know, their whole thing is you know, religious people have blind faith, they just define faith automatically as blind faith, but we're about uh, thinking and looking at the evidence and making your mind up based upon the evidence. And indeed, the New Atheists as a whole tends to have a, a, a sort of scientistic view of knowledge, of how you know things, that we know things through science. Mm. Uh, ultimately, we know things through our senses and the extension of our senses through scientific instruments. Mm. When we, we gather sort of empirical data and then we, we and find the best explanation mm. for that data. Uh, and, and so they're sort of rising a, a flag for, for that sort of scientific approach to knowledge on the one hand. Uh, but then they say uh, basically that the historical Jesus can't be the Jesus that Christians think he is because miracles are either impossible or can't be known to have happened. Mm. Uh, and we know this principally because of David Hume's philosophical argument, his <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, famous uh, philosophical critique of believing in miracles, mm. which seems somewhat at odds with their profession of an empirical methodology for knowing things, mm. uh, to then suddenly punt to a philosophical critique mm. <laughs> of, of miracles. Mm. Um, so they really don't spend much time engaging at all seriously with the historical evidence for Jesus mm. because they already know on sort of philosophy called a priori or before experience grounds uh, that whatever the historical Jesus was and they usually begrudgingly admit that he did exist although rather begrudgingly um, but whatever he was um, you know Christianity must be a sort of misunderstanding of him. Mm. Good morning and welcome to Winchester Cathedral. I think they're about to announce that they're having this little service over in one of the side chapels. Or prayers. But you say begrudgingly acknowledge that he existed. Do some of them raise doubts about that? Oh yes, they all really raise doubts about it. I mean, Richard Dawkins famously sort of says, you know, a, a serious academic case can be made uh, against the existence of Jesus, um, as done, for example, by Professor Wells at, at London University. And, um, and then he'll say, but, you know, but probably there was a historical Jesus. You know. um, and he won't mention that Professor Wells is a... Uh, he was a famous uh, Jesus mythicist, uh, professor of uh, German language. <laughs> He's not a historian or a classicist. Or <laughs> um, 
So he seems to do as much as possible to sort of raise doubts in the reader's mind about it, whilst admitting, yeah, it probably was one, but you know, it's sort of it's doubtful or doubtable. Or, whereas amongst you know historians and classicists who deal with the, the era, at least, uh, it is just not in question. Um, I quote in my book, you know, a atheist. Uh, historians and New Testament scholars and so mm. on who, um, you know, this famous atheist New Testament scholar called Gerd Ludeman, who says that the, the crucifixion of Jesus uh, is basically historically certain. Mm. <laughs> uh, and if you get crucified, uh, and that's certain, well, you certainly had to have, you know, lived to get crucified. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but what you understand to be their motivation for, for attacking Jesus? <coughs> uh, that's, uh, that's interesting. I think it, they want to attack religion in general and Christianity in particular uh, because they have this confusion of faith with blind faith uh, and think that blind faith, even of the most benign um, garden party throwing tea drinking English vicar <laughs> kind you know uh, <laughs> variety uh, opens up a space for people to be radicalized by very dangerous ide ideologies it leaves you open to being converted into a terrorist bomber mm. because you're not thinking you're not living up to your intellectual responsibilities so you're kind of fair game mm. uh, and you become anti-science and therefore you know anti um, doing anything about global warming anti uh, uh, you know anti uh, everything to do with evolution and therefore anti you know scientific progress that's going to stop uh, the evolution of superbugs uh, or um, and that you have dangerous social uh, uh, views um, of a, a particularly conservative variety, um, so they think you know religious people are uh, bad for society because they're you know against abortion and against gay marriage and, and so on and so forth, um, which is of course painting religious people with a very broad brush uh, on the basis of a false premise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I think that there is a sort of spread of motivations there from a desire to defend truth and rationality and, mm. and science, uh, to defend various moral values that they hold dear mm -hmm. uh, and so on. Uh, and I wouldn't, yeah. What would you say is a good and a bad Christian response to this? <sighs> or to the yeah. bad one first? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a, a, a bad response would be to respond in kind uh, with any kind of um, with the new atheism. Several new atheists, Dawkins has sort of called upon uh, non-religious people to sort of laugh mm. at the religious to just uh, to use uh, caricature and. Um, Sort of to not seriously engage with religious ideas and mm. so on, because of course there's nothing serious there to engage with, because 
you know, there's no God and Jesus can't be who Christians think he is and so on. Um, whereas I think uh, Christians need to kind of play fair by the, the laws of rationality and civil debate mm. and to seriously attempt to understand and engage with the ideas and the thinking of the new atheists mm. and to point out the flaws in their reasoning, of which there are many, and the mistaken assumptions that they make, the mistaken factual claims that they make. Um, so I've just been, you know, I'm, I'm writing a, a new book now, responding to this outgrowing God book by Richard Dawkins. Mm. And I was just astonished at the number of false claims that he makes um, that are just demonstrably, as a matter of public record, <laughs> false. Uh, and he starts off the book talking about, you know, there are so many, you know, different religions that we don't believe anymore, all these polytheistic gods, you don't believe in Zeus, you don't believe in Thor, you know, why believe in, in God or Jesus and so on, don't just believe things because you're, you grew up in it, don't just take things on authority, uh, think for yourself and ask, you know, what's, what are the reasons, what are the evidence for things? Uh, and, you know, I can get on board with, don't just take things on authority, think about it for yourself, ask what the reasons and evidence are. Uh, but then he goes on in the rest of the book to assert, point after point after point, without even giving you any indication of what, if any, research he's done is. There are no footnotes, there's no bibliography. <laughs> mm. uh, he just asserts things and expects the readers to take it on authority. Mm. Um, so he doesn't really equip readers to follow his opening advice. Uh, but if they do, they would very quickly find out that he just makes embarrassing mistake after embarrassing mistake, really. So he will say things like, oh, you know, we know the, the stories of Abraham in the Bible, they, they, they must be made up late, perhaps during the Babylonian exile period, uh, because there are anachronisms in the text, such as, you know, the text mentions that he had camels, mm. and we know that camels weren't domesticated until much later in history. Well, people, you know, used to say that sort of thing back in the 1950s, mm. <laughs> but now, <laughs> you know, if you read um, professional uh, studies, if you read um, works of uh, Egyptologist uh, Kenneth Kitchen, or the uh, research paper on it by uh, Martin Hyde, or um, you know, loads of sources that I, that I can point to, uh, documenting the, the documented use of camels uh, around the time of Abraham. <laughs> um, they weren't widespread usage, but they were in use. <laughs> um, or he will say, you know, um, King David, if he if he existed, uh, probably a little local tribal chieftain, but you know, he King David hasn't troubled the archaeological record. Mm. So it's like saying that there's no archaeological evidence for the existence of King David. Well, no, not until about 1993-94, when the Tel Dan stele was mm. was unearthed, was discovered, uh, which mentions the House of David and is uh, commonly acknowledged to have proved the existence of the royal line of, of King David. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, it wouldn't take much of a Google search <laughs> uh, 
uh, to discover that, and yet Dawkins clearly hasn't bothered even to do that, mm. uh, and just asserts these things, doesn't give any reference mm. to, to show that he's got any research backing up his point, and he's just plain flat wrong. Mm. <laughs> um, Um, uh, but is, is this kind of typical for the whole movement to have the approach that he has in his book? Yeah, so the, mo the movement as a whole has this scientific uh, uh, approach to knowledge as a whole. I mean, there are individual differences. Has this scientific approach to knowledge. Um, seems to cast doubt on the very existence of Jesus whilst begrudgingly admitting that he existed. Um, uh, usually it appeals to sort of human arguments against miracles, doesn't seriously engage with any New Testament scholarship after sort of Rudolf Boltman. Um, uh, you know, um, is it who... Uh, I think it's um, Jerry Coyne uh, in one of his books has the most sustained engagement with the, the sort of historical argument about the resurrection of Jesus. And he only devotes a few, a handful of pages to the topic. Mm. And his sort of main argument is, look, you Christian people, you don't believe uh, the Mormons story, Joseph Smith's story about the golden plates and the witnesses to the golden plates from which he translates the, the Book of Mormon mm. and so on. Um, you think, you know, that's not true, but don't you realise you've got no more reason than that to believe in the resurrection? Mm. Um, so why believe in the resurrection? Mm. Uh, so there's no you know, there's no direct engagement with, oh, you know, I'm going to talk about the resurrection, so what are the, you know, what are the leading Christian publications on the resurrection? Okay, I need to engage with N.T. Wright, Resurrection of the Son of God, or, or um, Richard Swinburne's book on it, or William Lane Craig's material on it, or uh, Michael Lycona's uh, thick uh, book on the topic. Uh, it's just like, well, let me draw an analogy with Mormonism, uh, and, and that do really has no foundation because I mean, el elsewhere, uh, um, I think it's uh, Richard Dawkins and Coyne or Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss, can't remember, sort of talk about, well, you know, at least, at least we know, you know, uh, Mormonism was founded by a known con man. <laughs> uh, and uh, you can't say that of Christianity. So, you know, there, there is a bit more reason to believe Christianity than Mormonism, kind of. <laughs> uh, it's not quite on the same evidential footing, uh, they admit. Um, but there's no sort of direct engagement uh, with uh, the evidence because they think, you know, there, well, there is no evidence because it's all about blind faith and... <laughs> but they have had debates with people like, um, not just simple-minded fundam fundamentalists, yeah. but people like, uh, well, say, Willem Lane Craig or Rowan Williams and John Lennox. And John so Lennox, so and, yeah. Uh, but hadn't that had it? Uh, there doesn't seem to have any effect on what they write, mm. no. Um, 
So, I mean, of, of course, lots of Christian philosophers and apologists and atheist philosophers mm. criticised uh, things that Dawkins said in The God Delusion. Mm. Well, that didn't trouble the 10th anniversary edition. It no. certainly hasn't troubled him using some of the very same arguments in Outgrowing God. Mm. Um, so it doesn't... They don't... Um, uh, sort of in, engage with criticism uh, or uh, sort of say, you know, um, you know, Dawkins doesn't sort of say, you know, the atheist philosopher Eric Weinenberg has published this article critiquing my central argument in The God Delusion and here's how I defend myself from it. Or, you know, um, you just get the occasional sort of anecdote of, you know, some years ago I remember I was a, a theology conference mm. and uh, you know the, the, the Christians there um, you know what d defended the ontological argument and, and, and had to, had to use modal logic to do it <laughs> ha 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 you know well well of course they did because modal logic just is the logic of possibility and necessity and so on mm. which the ontological argument is built around yeah. uh, you have to understand modal logic to understand the modern ontological argument which Dawkins doesn't <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. But do you think that um, uh, this affects Christians as well uh, when it comes to um, uh, sharing one's faith to to, to be confident uh, as a Christian in, yeah, in this cultural yeah. situation? I think I think the new atheist writings have, have shaken the faith of a lot of Christians. Mm. Or. Uh, um, convinced uh, a lot of people that um, the faith that they grew up in is questionable on rational and or moral grounds uh, and certainly influences the public discussion and um, you know influences the thinking of non-believers that Christians are engaging with mm. um, Kind of shapes that 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 public and personal conversation. Yeah, I mean they're not the 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 only type of atheism out there, of course. Mm. Um, not the the only influences, but they are uh, a major uh, influence. Mm. And, and I think part part of the reason why there there is at least a, a growing recognition within parts of the church for the need for thinking about Christian apologetics, uh, persuasive evangelism, uh, for engaging with uh, ideas um, in our proclamation of the gospel. Mm. Uh. <coughs> um, what do you think would be a, a good approach when it comes to learning about these things for the average Christian. Man, many people may think, well, this is too difficult. I can't get involved with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the, the wonders of YouTube videos, um, you know, uh, mm. if you, you can't spend the time or, or, or the effort required to uh, sit down with a book, mm. uh, you can uh, sit down with a YouTube video. Mm. Um, 
and uh, you know you have to discern uh, good sources of material out there uh, you can go to uh, um, my website, for example, let's do a plug, mm. so www.peterswilliams.com mm. um, and uh, there will be a tab there that will take you uh, to my YouTube channel and there are videos on my website with this link to my YouTube channel where there's video lectures by me but I also I curate a lot of YouTube playlists mm. on different apologetic topics um, and will generally have you know, some introductory playlists and playlists that have some in short introductory videos at the beginning and sort of work their way up to uh, lecture length, mm. um, debate length vid uh, videos and so on. Um, and particularly to, to see, to watch uh, some debate videos, watch some of William Lane Craig's debates mm. with professional atheist philosophers, um, so watch some of John Lennox's discussions uh, with people like Richard Dawkins or Peter Atkins. Mm. Um, uh, and that is a, a good way of getting a, a, a sort of feel for mm. the, the topics, uh, how these things sort of tend to go, mm. and may perhaps spark your interest in pursuing some of those topics from there. Mm. Uh, is there, on the other hand, a challenge that Christians give answers which are not, um, uh, or which are too simplistic? Which are to to kind of uh, confirm sure. the the new atheist uh, impression. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. If, and we've got to, you know, both do our homework and um, listen and engage with the particular individual mm. as well. You know, if you're writing a, a book, you're writing for a broad audience. You're mm. doing a lecture, you're talking for a broad audience. But for most Christians, you're engaging perhaps with a, with an individual, with a work colleague, with a friend, with a family member. Uh, and there are all sorts of interpersonal mm. um, realities to that that have to be taken on board as mm. well. Um, the appropriateness of the moment, mm. not not forcing it too hard, mm. uh, uh, engaging where that person is interested uh, uh, on the in, uh, uh, on a basis of actually understanding what they as an individual think about it, rather mm. than just assuming that you know you can put them in a, in a particular box mm. and, uh, and like okay they're in uh, they're in uh, sort of atheist box 1b <laughs> therefore i give them answer 12c <laughs> that i've you know learnt off by heart and um i think a lot of apologetics um uh, is uh, listening in love mm. uh, as well as speaking the truth in love mm. Uh, and you know, it's 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give an answer, give an apologia mm. to those who ask you for the reason for the hope that you have, mm. you know, those who ask you mm. <laughs> uh, to give a reason, do it with gentleness and respect. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, we try and keep away from the sort of Twitter storm, mm. uh, <laughs> uh, caricaturing or name-calling or um, mm. uh, arguing, uh, arguing about people rather than arguments. Mm. We need to keep uh, thinking about the ideas and the arguments, not attacking people mm. uh, and so on. But do you also think that Christians have a... Uh, that intellectual laziness can be a temptation? 
certainly. I, th I think one of the things we can kind of thank the New Atheist Movement for uh, is waking the church up to its intellectual laziness mm. uh, in this area uh, in recent decades uh, and the fact that we uh, need to not uh, live our lives of faith in intellectual neutral, mm. <laughs> as William Lane Craig puts it. Mm. Uh, that worshipping the Lord with our minds mm. is equally as part of his instruction to worship the Lord our God with all of our mind and heart and strength, mm. uh, with our head and our hearts and our hands, uh, that we need to, at an appropriate level for us, and perhaps no, mm. just as we strive to stretch ourselves to live in moral conformity to the gospel more and more. Mm. Uh, so that stems also out of uh, living in intellectual conformity to the gospel more and more. You know, mm. St Paul says, therefore be transformed by the renewing of your minds mm. so that you so that you can then you, you know, will test and approve what the right things uh, mm. of God are. Um, we have to, uh, to to live in God's world, God's way. We have to think about God's world in God's way. Um. Well, good. Mm. I think I have uh, uh, enough material for an article. I could.